from Matthew 5 then. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thus far the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, as we consider the words from what we know as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, help us to be like the men who not only heard the words, but acted on them. We pray for your spirit to help us listen well and act bravely to do the message that you give us. Thank you for your spirit who makes your truth available and active in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning again. Looking forward to, to diving in a little deeper to this Sermon on the Mount, and particularly today to the Beatitudes, which are in many ways the, the gateway to understanding the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we talked about the Sermon on the Mount uh, as being concerned with that righteousness, particularly um, and specifically, righteousness that is not our own, but the righteousness that comes from Christ, and we, we don't merit it at all. I want to start today uh, by talking about a, a thing that sociologists are calling augmented reality. Uh, and augmented reality is something that maybe some of you have uh, played around a little bit with, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can change your, your features to sort of beautify the way that we represent ourselves. Uh, they have recently began offering these high-tech filters with a few simple clicks. These filters will beautify the appearance of the user in social media profiles. The filters, they've exploded in popularity. Millions of users can now get model-esque looks by sharpening, shrinking, enhancing, recoloring your face or your body. An Instagram face is a small nose, big eyes, clear skin, and big lips. 
Both Facebook and Instagram claim that over 600 million people uh, are currently using the beautifiers. They have 10,000 employees dedicated to uh, the improvement of this augmented reality products. And there are more than 400,000 third-party creators uh, that have produced a total of 1.2 million effects uh, on Facebook alone. Now, I'm, I'm not highlighting this to... I'm sure people have played around with this, fun, make yourself look different, all of that. Uh, there, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of that. But I think what it, 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 it helps us to understand is the desire that we have to have an appearance that looks beautiful. You know, this idea like if we could just augment our reality... And if we could present ourselves in such a way that people would find us attractive, uh, that people would find us beautiful, then wouldn't that be awesome? But we know it's not that easy. It's not as easy as an enhancement uh, program. It's not an, as easy as we can sometimes make it appear on our social media. And in many ways, it's completely counter to what we, uh, what we gain through the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the Beatitudes, as we're going to talk about them today very specifically. Yesterday, or last week, we talked about kind of the central idea of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. But today, we want to capture all of them and say, what, what is the version of reality that Christ says is beautiful? What is the version of reality that will really shine forth? Now, we can't earn it. We don't merit it. Uh, we, we said that last week. Uh, the whole sermon, one writer puts it this way, presupposes an acceptance of the gospel, an experience of conversion and new birth, uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, those are sometimes religious words, but the, the sermon presupposes that we've, we, we're willing to surrender to God. We're willing to acknowledge our, our sin. We're willing to acknowledge that we can't do it on our own uh, and that we need the Holy Spirit. It describes the kind of people that reborn Christians are or should be. And the Beatitudes set forth the blessings which God bestows, not as a reward for merit, but as a gift of grace on those in whom he is working this sort of character. So I want to walk through this with you this morning and understand it, again, not as a reward for merit, but as a gift of grace. If God is working in your heart, what will it look like? And that's what we want to explore this morning. I have three stops along the way. Uh, my first stop is just this idea of a path of blessing. Uh, it's, it's a word that comes up, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed, 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 uh, several times throughout there. Some of you know that it is the Greek word uh, makarios that is translated here. Uh, there are some versions of, of Scripture that translate that as happy. 
which is a fine translation for the word, uh, but it doesn't really, at least the way that we understand happiness, uh, it doesn't really capture the essence of what is being said here. But blessed, you know, that sounds sort of Christianese, and what, what exactly does that mean? What is being communicated here? What is being communicated here, and I I think it's uh, safe to say it's not only here in Matthew, these Beatitudes, but uh, throughout the Scriptures, the Psalms uh, especially, we think about the blessed man of Psalm 1 or the blessed person of Psalm 1 who who, uh, is planted by the rivers of water, but it's all all throughout uh, the Scriptures. The one who is blessed is settled is content, it has deep roots, is founded, there is, a, uh, there is a depth to this person that, that cannot be shaken. I, I do like Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is kind of the gateway to the Psalms. There is a correlation between Psalm 1 and, and these Beatitudes here in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, there we, we see he is like a tree planted by the rivers of water who yields its fruit in season. We recognize that there are seasons of, of flowering. There are also seasons of emptiness. But the tree is rooted. It's nourished. It's blessed. And that's what the scriptures are talking about here. Uh, they're, they're not talking about this happy, 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 all the day experience. Uh, and, and, and we have the freedom in Christ to be able to express emotions and to be real and even in the midst of sorrow to know what it means to be blessed. One writer, in in talking about the Psalms, uh, in talking about uh, this idea of happiness and grief commingling into this form of blessing, she says, the Psalms express our every human emotion. The transformation they affect isn't to turn our sadness into happiness. They don't take grieving people and make them annoyingly peppy and optimistic. Uh, They never say, chin up, or it's not so bad, nor do they tell us why we suffer. Instead, they fix our vision on God's love for us and teach us how to locate our own pain and longing in God's eternal drama. They form us into a people who can hold the depths of our sorrow with utter honesty, even as we hold to the promises of God. And, and as you're going to see in a minute, when we, when we walk through these Beatitudes, you're, you're going to experience that realness uh, of poor in spirit, of mourning, uh, of meekness, things that we oftentimes associate with going through difficult times in life, and yet there is the blessing there. So, so don't make the mistake of saying, well, I don't feel happy, therefore I, I must not be experiencing the blessing, or don't make the mistake of saying, I've got difficult stuff going on in my life, 
therefore God must not be shining on me. That, those would be false interpretations, sometimes Western American interpretations of what blessing and happiness and all of that looks like, but it's not really the biblical interpretation. The second thing I just want to say about this path of blessing is that it, it finds its locus in, in God and the things that He gives us. Look at the second half of each of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They shall be satisfied, receive mercy. They shall see God. They'll be called sons of God. All of these uh, blessings on, on sort of this second half of these Beatitudes, these are all things that are, are spiritually discerned, they're spiritually received, they're spiritually given. Uh, God is the author uh, of these, and this is what He has promised us. He, he has promised us something that is so much more and so much greater than a mere earthly enjoyment. He's promised us His presence. He's promised us a kingdom where righteousness and justice and all of these things reign and rule. He's promised us comfort. He's promised us mercy. There is a depth here to what Jesus is saying is the reward for this blessing, or that, that is this blessing that comes as the other side of this beatitude. You can go throughout the Old Testament, and you can see that in His covenant relations with His people, God has always promised a blessing that we experience in the here and now, uh, but is so much more than simply what we experience in the here and now. So we, we read various places where prophets or psalmists or whoever has been in, uh, interacting with these ideas, talking about them with the people of God, and, and we see that, that these are things that, that God is doing. So Isaiah 60 and Isaiah 61, these are full of covenant blessings and covenant promises that God is going to give to His people. And in it, you see a kingdom, you see peace, you see mercy, you see uh, an inheritance of the land, all of these things coming to fruition, being promised. Uh, Psalm 37 is, uh, and I encourage you to go through and, and read this, it is very much this, this covenant relationship uh, with God. Uh, and over and over again, He is promising you know, in Psalm 37, there's a lot of focus on inheriting the land, which is one of the promises that we see here. Evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. The meek shall inherit the land, delight themselves in abundant peace. You, you hear these themes coming all the way through here. Um, but I love the way that Psalm 37 closes in verses 39 and 40. It says, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they find their refuge in Him. The, the, it, it's from the Lord. 
through and through. And so as we, we look at what this blessing means, we, we find that it is something solid that transcends simply our circumstances or human emotion, uh, that is rooted in who God is, and the blessings flow from Him. There's so much more than we experience in the here and now. They, they are filled with all this fruitful promise of a kingdom, comfort, mercy, all of these different things. Second thing I want to point out to you is the, the path that specifically is laid out to us. Uh, there is definitely a path here. Chrysostom, uh, who is an early church father, he, he calls the Beatitudes uh, the golden chain. Uh, and, and he very much sees the linking in this. If you remember last week, I said that you can, um, you know, one way to look at, there's a couple different ways you could look at the Beatitudes. One way to look at it, though, is to uh, see the hungering and thirsting of righteousness as being the center point in the, in the chain. So what you have here, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are meek, for, uh, and, and it, it gives itself then, or it manifests itself in a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those, that is all an internal path. Uh, that starts with this poverty in spirit, uh, recognizing that, uh, that we have nothing to offer God. Now, one of the things that uh, people have noted is that Luke's version, the Sermon on the Plain, it just says, blessed are the poor. It doesn't say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, and some have questioned that. Is, is Jesus talking about, you know, social position and, and some of the different things? Uh, what we could say is that it's certainly true that that poverty in this life leads to a humility. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, the poor are, are mentioned as those who are in a position to see God. But there is definitely this linking of poor in spirit. Uh, there is this sense of our need that drives us to God. And as we make our approach to God, we begin to mourn, for we recognize that, that we, we don't belong here. We mourn specifically over our sin. We mourn specifically over the lack of righteousness in ourselves, the lack of righteousness that we see in this world, its brokenness, things that have been done to us. We, we mourn about this. It's not, I don't believe, talking about sort of general mourning that comes from having lost a loved one or something like that. It, it's more specific here, uh, having to do with seeing our brokenness, the brokenness of our world before God. Uh, and, and that then leads us to a meekness with regards to ourselves. Now again, meekness is one of those things that can be misunderstood. We, we get this idea of, of weakness with meekness, um, and, and that's certainly not what is being portrayed here. Jesus uh, talks about himself as being meek and lowly in heart. Jesus certainly 
wasn't weak in any sense of the imagination. He was in full control, went to the cross, faced our greatest enemy, his greatest enemy. It, it was not weakness, but it was himself under control, giving himself. And we get that sense with the meekness that is here, that as we encounter this, there is the sense of um, a humble and gentle attitude uh, that is determined by a true estimation of ourselves. Um, and there's a willingness to be in that place. And then again, as I mentioned last week, it, 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 it focuses in the hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you, do you see the path a, as it goes? Where there's a poverty in spirit which leads us to mourn, which gives us an honest view of who we are uh, so that we can operate meekly in this world and we then are sharpened in terms of our focus for life. We're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And then what you see is it has external, uh, it has an external manifestation to it. Uh, as we hunger and thirst for righteousness and we understand that we are meek, we are able to be merciful to those around us. As we understand righteousness, as we mourn for sins, uh, we, we understand that purity in heart is something to be pursued and to be grabbed. I, I don't believe that the purity in heart here is just an internal thing. Uh, there is an external uh, integrity to it. Like if you look at Psalm 24, that talks a lot about the, the righteous man and the poor in heart. It talks about he, he will not lift his eyes to what is false. There is nothing deceitful in him. There is an integrity to this person. You experience this as you, as you do business with somebody or within your family or wherever. Uh, there is a, there's an external oneness, integrity to the pure in heart. And then finally, of course, this idea that they are peacemakers. This, this is the golden chain. It, it takes us in, it takes us down, uh, where we meet and long for the righteousness that only God can give us. But when we experience that righteousness, it, it pushes us out uh, into lives filled with mercy, integrity, and peacemaking. Do you recognize this, this path? Do you, do you recognize it for yourself? I mean, there, there is an invitation here that Jesus is giving us. Again, the, the Beatitudes are, are the gateway to this entirety of the sermon. We're going to talk about a lot of different things. But one of the things that Jesus is saying to us at the very beginning is, he says, the way that you are in relationship with me is not so much what you do, but it's who you are. It's a, it's a strength of character. It's, it's an understanding of who you are before God. And the invitation then is to know and experience that, to take this path, to take this journey, and to find that God will meet you there 
with the blessings that He has promised. Involves things like repentance. Um, it's not a popular topic to talk about. You know, we, we talk a lot about grace, uh, and grace is, a, is definitely a mark of this. I mean, we recognize that the blessed one is one who knows they have received grace, but there is a path to it that recognizes poverty in spirit, that recognizes uh, a brokenness with regards to sin, that's willing to be meek. So again, we put this up against the world's values, and we talk about strength, and we talk about success, and we talk about charisma, and leadership ability, and all of these different things, and it, it seems so very different. But then, you know, the gospel is so very different uh, than anything that the world has to offer. The gospel is so very different than anything that religion has to offer. You know, again, there, there's two paths, there's, there, there's two houses, there's the house that's built on the sand, that's built on our own achievements, that's built on our own merit, and then there's the house that is built on Christ, and it's built on His righteousness, and it's got its foundations sunk deep. You know, it's instructive as we read these Beatitudes, Christ walked every single one of them. You know, Christ who was God became the poor in spirit mourner. He was the meek one. He hungered and thirsted for that righteousness. We talked about that last week on the cross. I thirst. Why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that we can have that righteousness. He exhibited mercy. He exhibited uh, integrity. He exhibited peace. Now, he does say, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Uh, he's talking about just the differences uh, of his kingdom versus the worldly kingdom, and we'll get to that in just a minute when we talk about persecution. Uh, but Jesus was the ultimate maker of peace. He gave himself in Ephesians 2 in order that those who were far off could be brought near. He, is, uh, he broke down the dividing wall of hostility, making peace through his body, through his blood. This is who Jesus is, and this is what we're invited into. But it's not religion. It's not do more, try harder. It's not, you know, I have to make myself this way. It is surrender. It is finding yourself at the feet of Jesus. One writer puts it this way. She says, meeting Christ in the upper room in Gethsemane, on Calvary, here in these Beatitudes, Meeting him is painful for many reasons, but the final straw is the unrelenting assault on our pride that is God's one-way love called grace. We desperately plead in our foolish self-reliance for a requirement. Give us a task. Give us something to do, but we're bid to come to the feast, and we're not allowed to bring a thing. It's a knife like no other. We will never pay the debt. We will always rely only and entirely on His work, His goodness, His grace, Him. Pride's only cure is death, and it's going to keep hurting. 
because our old man, our old self, keeps appearing, pointing to our filthy rags and claiming that we participate in our own redemption. But Jesus keeps washing our feet. He keeps killing our self-made dignity, and he keeps restoring it with his own righteousness. This is the picture that the Beatitudes paint for us. It, it is a, an invitation to come and die. But to know that as you do, you will find yourself again. And you will be blessed in ways that you never could have imagined. And all of this just seems so weird to the world, right? Uh, it, it, de it doesn't make sense. And by world, I, I, I mean all sorts of different things. Uh, you know, I mean the secular forces, the debauchery, drunkenness, sexual immorality, all of those different things. But I also mean, you know, the religious going to do it ourselves. It just seems so weird. And that's why uh, Jesus talks a little bit about persecution. And notice this is a double beatitude. If we're going to talk about the golden path being, you know, the, the poverty in spirit, mourning, meekness, thirsting, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaking, the, the double beatitude of, of uh, persecution then tells us, you know, if this is the path we're going to take, this is the world's response to us. Uh, this is how you are going to be perceived by those who, who haven't followed the path, who, who haven't surrendered to Christ in all of His goodness and all of His mercy. Blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. A couple of things just to say here about persecution. So I know it's, it's difficult in one way, for us to talk about, I mean, we, we look around the world, uh, we, we see people in other countries, other cultures, who are, are very much persecuted, killed with a sword, uh, killed with a gun, I mean, on video, for the world to see. I mean, there is a persecution that, that we don't know anything about. And, and so sometimes we uh, kind of remove ourselves from that and say, we, we, we don't know what it's like to be persecuted. And if that's only what we mean by persecuted, then of course, yes, that, that's true. Uh, but, but there are many different kinds of persecution. Now, there is some persecution that we deserve, right? Like notice here, he's talking about being persecuted for righteousness' sake, being persecuted on my account. Sometimes we're persecuted just simply because we're jerks, uh, because we have not, you know, we're, we're not displaying to the world the kind of humility and meekness that Jesus is talking about in, uh, in the Beatitudes. Unfortunately, I, I think we're seeing that right now in, in various parts of the church, liberal, conservative, progressive, you know, whatever you want to talk about, there is such a pride of rightness that gets out, and then people don't like it, and then we say, oh, we're being persecuted. 
Well, maybe, uh, maybe not. Uh, we, we need to be careful to make sure that we're being persecuted for righteousness' sake and that our life is, is showing forth the beatitudes that Jesus is calling for. Uh, it, connected with that, um, well, let, let me just say, uh, so certain types of persecution, some types of persecution are deserved, but, but there also does exist uh, this idea of ideological persecution. Um, and, and this is just simply what I alluded to before. When, when we follow Christ's path, the world doesn't appreciate it. And I mean that in both senses of the word appreciate. On the one hand, they don't understand it. Like, you, as we come to this, we know that we need to have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand. You know, there is a certain sense, and some of you, I'm sure, maybe are at this point. You're like, you know, I hear what you're talking about. It just doesn't really seem appealing. It doesn't make sense. We pray then, Lord, help me to see the wisdom. Help me to see the beauty in what you are putting in front of me. So there's not that ability to see it, but then it's also just not appreciated. You know, when we talk about how do we go forward in our society uh, when we see injustice? Like there is a movement to desire righteousness, but we don't, we don't correct injustice by exerting a different kind of power. You know, there, there is a, a path that God has laid for us here that, that talks about humility and talks about uh, meekness and all of these different things. And so, you know, the, the ideologies of the day talk about power. They talk about, you know, maintaining your rights. You know, these, these are all of the ideologies. And if we really seek to live out the Beatitudes, you, you are going to be persecuted. Now, it's not going to be beheading or uh, gunshots, but it is going to be real persecution. I, I think especially of our, our young people, uh, kids, college age, whatever it might be, you know, just the messaging that you get in your formative years uh, is so constant you know, whether it's from social media or television or movies, the music that you listen to, within the curriculums of your schools, uh, the things that you are taught in university, uh, you know, it's, it's so contra, and, and sometimes subtly so, uh, but it's so contra to what we see in these Beatitudes. And we need to learn to recognize uh, sort of the ideologies, the principalities, the powers that are seeking to take captive our thoughts uh, and, and push us, make us feel like we, we are um, backwards and uneducated and primitive and simple if we have if we hold to the the beauty that is in the beatitudes say one other thing about persecution how do you fight it um so some of us think well we got to fight it <laughs> but that's not exactly what 
Jesus says. He talks about things like turning the other cheek. Uh, Paul talks about uh, kindness in the face of persecution, heaping burning coals upon their heads. Uh, We can never get away from the beatitude path of life. So even in the face of persecution, we, we still live out that poor in spirit, the hunger, uh, the meekness, the mourning. And I think especially mourning for those who, who cannot see, who cannot appreciate. You remember we talked about this when we were going through Philippians. Paul says, even now with tears, I talk about those who walk in opposition to the gospel of Christ. You know, sometimes, and maybe some of you are experiencing this this morning, we read through something like the Beatitudes, and if we haven't experienced that or we're at the very beginning of a discipleship journey, it can just feel so overwhelming. There might be some beauty there that attracts and calls, but it just feels so overwhelming. And so we, we lash out. We lash out against those that we think that are further along the path. Just because somebody is persecuting you or because you are experiencing that from them does not mean that they are not ultimately destined to be God's child. And we have to always maintain a softness in the face of persecution because that, that is ultimately our Savior. If you want an understanding of the Beatitudes, look at Jesus. Like a sheep led to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. He brought blessing and he brought peace to those who would tear him limb from limb and who would ultimately kill him. So, we have this desire for beauty, augmented reality. It shows us this. But the beauty that Jesus offers, the beauty that Jesus invites and calls us to is something different. One writer says it this way, he says, the greatness of the Beatitudes is not that they are wistful glimpses of some future beauty. They're not even golden promises of some distant glory, but they are triumphant shouts of bliss for a present and permanent joy that nothing in the world can ever take away. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, we are so grateful for this triumphant shout of bliss that is the Beatitudes. Lord, we pray that as we seek to live and experience, uh, come to love the Master who taught us that blessed are the poor in spirit. Lord, we, we pray that you would help us. We know that we need you, Holy Spirit, to come and, and give us those seeing eyes and the understanding hearts. We know that you, we need, to, uh, we need you to unlock in us uh, that poverty of spirit that will allow us to mourn properly before you into hunger, into thirst for righteousness. Pray that you would meet us. Pray for all here today, especially for those who maybe are experiencing uh, persecution in a, in a very real way. Lord, I pray that you would, your nearness would be ever near them, 
uh, ever, ever present for them, and that you would help us all to respond in a Christ-like manner. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.